Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Holy and gracious Father, we pray that through your Son and by your Spirit, you'll be with preacher and you'll be with those who are hearing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Brother Anthony. Well, we have come to one of the most famous set of verses in the Bible. Uh, if you are Roman Catholic or ex-Roman Catholic, you know these verses quite well. What we have before us is Christ giving to us a model of how we are to pray. Now, are we commanded to pray in this way? Well, no, not necessarily. We don't have to pray in this exact way. We don't have to use these exact words. However, we must take from this prayer principles of how we are to approach God in prayer. Before the uh, COVID-19 uh, disease or virus um, hit, uh, we started uh, a, a lesson in the Lord's Prayer because on Sunday evenings, on the first Sunday of the month, we pray. It is our corporate prayer. And so Pastor Antonio and I decided that, well, in the mornings, why don't we do something on prayer? And then in the evening, we actually pray uh, corporately. So last time we were together, we considered uh, our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven, which connotes... Uh, two things, that God is Father, both naturally and spiritually. That we can come to God who is our Father. Uh, but of course, this doesn't exclude the Son and the Spirit when we say our Father. Um, but it, it does speak to the, the nearness of this relationship that we have with one who is our Father. For this morning, though, I want us to consider the first petition in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and then next month we'll consider the second petition and so on and so forth. But we want to look at the first petition, which is, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. And saints, let me tell you that through studying this, I was so convicted uh, and I was so challenged, but also encouraged. Um, this undoubtedly is the most important petition in the six petitions that Christ gives to us in the Lord's Prayer. So let's examine this first petition of the Lord's Prayer in three ways. Number one, the order of the petition. Number one, the order of the petition. Number two, the necessity of the petition. The necessity of the petition. And number three, the use of the petition. So and number three is simply some practical uses of how do we live in light of this first petition. Let's consider the order of the petition, the order of the petition. Christ commands his disciples to pray in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
When Christ gives his disciples a model of how they are to pray, he gives six petitions that are to regulate their prayers. And these six petitions, in many ways, harmonize with the Ten Commandments. As you know, the first four commandments deal with our relationship to God, and the latter six commandments deal with our relationship to man. Historically, theologians have called this the first and second table. We see the same pattern in the Lord's Prayer, where the first three petitions have in view God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will, and the last three petitions have in view our bread, our forgiveness, and our deliverance. And we see this harmony between the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments so clear in the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. The first commandments, as well as the second and the third and the fourth, deal with God. The fourth being how we are to approach God in worship. And the first petition of the Lord's Prayer speaks of God and who He is. And saints, this is the order by which we are to approach prayer. J.R. Miller, commenting on this first petition, says, Of this, this petition reminds us, it checks the flow of our thoughts and feelings, and bids us approach God with a suitable sense of our unworthiness and of His holiness. I particularly love when Miller says, it checks the flow of our thoughts and feelings. That is what this first petition does, saints. The first petition is the lens by which we are to approach prayer. It is the funnel by which all of our prayers flow through. Before we ask anything of ourselves, we must check our thoughts, our motives, our feelings. First and foremost, God must be given glory. And friends, this is so different than how many uh, approach prayer, is it not? This is so unlike the first petition of many Christians when they pray. When one prays, usually their first request revolves around themselves. As soon as they open their mouths, they make a beeline to themselves to what they want and what they desire. But saints, this is not how Christ says we are to approach prayer. We are to approach prayer in many ways with our shoes off. We are to approach prayer as a beggar coming to one who has an endless amount of riches. Although prayer is us lisping to God all of our desires, we do tell God all of our wants, all of our needs in prayer. But prayer first and foremost is not about us. But prayer first and foremost is about God. Prayer is about God and his glory. And all of our prayers must come subordinate to God and his glory. All of our prayers. You praying for your unsaved family member comes subordinate to God and his glory. You praying that God will get you out of debt comes under God and his glory. For your marriage to get better comes under God and his glory. The Puritan Thomas Manton says, we should rather forget ourselves 
then forget God. God must be remembered in the first place. There is nothing more precious than God himself. Therefore, nothing should be more dear to us than his glory. Saints, this is prayer 101. The chief end of all of our prayers must be for God to receive praise and admiration. Prayer, first and foremost, is for God to receive glory. And saints, this extends to all of our life. When we pray that God would receive glory, it doesn't start and end in prayer. But it extends to how we live. Everything we do must be for God's glory. Now, I'm sure you heard of that before. That everything we do must be for God's glory. Now, why is that? Why is it that everything that we do should be for God's glory? Because everything God does is for his glory. Every single thing that God does is for his praise. This is how the Bible speaks, is it not? The Bible is crystal clear that every single thing that happens in the believer's life, an unbeliever's life, is for the glory of God. What was the chief end for the eternal son's assumption of flesh? St. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow on those of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here Paul says the chief end of the eternal Son, assuming flesh to live, die, rise, and ascend for us, is for the glory of God. Not our salvation but for God to receive praise. And God receives praise, of course, through saving us. What is the chief end of us producing good works in this life? Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What's the reason why we are to produce good works? Not that people will say, that you are a good Christian. But it's for people to see the God who you serve. And it draws people to that God. When we pray for deliverance from sin and temptation, it is first and foremost about not dishonoring God. Proverbs 30, verse 9, that they uh, that I... Be fool and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of God. Saints, what do you do when you profane the name of God? You are not giving him glory. When we ask for deliverance from evil, it is not first and foremost about God removing this evil from us, but first and foremost for God to receive glory. That's a hard one to swallow, is it not? Man, we're going through something. There's there's evil following me. It's present. It's there. And the first thing that I'm to do is to pray that God will receive glory. But 
The psalmist says in Psalm 50, verse 15, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. And lastly, a verse that we all know by heart, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether you, uh, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, John Gill, commenting on this verse, sums this up well. He says, God's glory is the end of all of his works and actions. In creation, providence, in grace, in election, in the covenant, in the blessings, and the promises of it. In redemption, in the effectual calling, and in bringing many sons to glory. The same is the, the, the same is the end of Christ's actions. As man and mediator of his doctrines and miracles, of his obedience, sufferings, of death in this world. He, or who, uh, as he lives to make intercession for us, lives unto God to the glory of God. And therefore the glory of God should be the end of our actions. Simply put, since God does everything for his glory, then we are to do everything for God's glory. Saints, this is how we approach God in prayer. Our first petition is for God's name to be hallowed, for him to receive glory. God is to be first in prayer, saints. Why? Because God is always to have the preeminence. That is ultimately why God is to be first. That is why we address God first, because God always is to be first. Saints, this is the first point that we must get right. That our prayers must always start with God and his glory. Always. Now let's now look at the second point, which is the necessity of hallowing God's name. The necessity of hallowing God's name. What does it mean to hallow the name of God? Well, the word hollow simply means to set apart and to sanctify. To set apart and to sanctify. So to hollow the name of God is to set his name apart from all other abuses. And reserve it strictly for holy use. Pretty simple. Hollowing God's name means to give him high honor and veneration. To render his name as sacred. Now, when we say this. That we are to hollow the name of God. We aren't to think that God's name is somehow lacking. And by us hollowing God's name, then we are setting apart more of God's name because his name is not set apart. So God needs us to set his name apart because it's currently not set apart. It's currently not holy. And by us hollowing his name, then we are adding more holiness and set apartness to his name. Saints, we aren't to think that by us praying that, the, that God's name be hallowed means that God is lacking in holiness and purity. Our confession in chapter 2 is quite clear that we do not add glory to God. Now, if that's interesting, is it not? Because we are commanded to glorify God in all things that we do. But our confession says that we don't add glory to God. Then what are we doing? When we glorify God in all things, we want to think that there's some glory jar next to God. And every time we give him glory, the glory jar, which is half full, fills up until it overflows. We can think of that, saints, and we aren't to think of that when we consider God and his glory and us hollowing the name of God. 
God doesn't need us to hollow his name in order that he may be more of a more pure spirit. He's already a most pure spirit. So what exactly are we doing when we hollow the name of God? If we're not adding to God, what are we doing? The Puritan Thomas Watson is helpful here. He says, quote, when a prince is crowned, there is something added really to his honor. But when we crown God with our triumphs and hallelujahs, there is nothing added to his essential glory. So Thomas Watson says that when a prince is crowned, there is, there is a real honor that is given to the prince. There's something that changes in the eyes of the people where he's no longer seen as this and he's held more now in high regard. But when we crown God with our praises, we are not adding anything to him like the crown adds honor to the prince. Thomas Watson goes on and says he cannot be greater than he is. But this is what we do when we hollow his name. Hear the saints. But we make him appear greater in the eyes of others. When we hollow the name of God, we make him appear greater in the eyes of others. When we pray that God's name be hallowed, we are, as the Westminster Larger Catechism says in question 190, that God would by his grace enable and incline us and others to know, to acknowledge, and to highly esteem him. His titles, attributes, ordinances, word, works, and whatsoever he is pleased to make himself known by and to glorify him in thought, word, and deed, and that he would prevent and remove atheism, ignorance, idolatry, profaneness, and whatsoever is dishonorable to him. When we are praying that God would make himself seen, uh, when we are praying to, to, to hollow God's name, we are praying that God would make himself be seen as great. Not merely in the lives of the believer, but also in the eyes of the unbeliever. You see, saints, the unbeliever, by their unbelief, dishonors the name of God. The unbeliever who is ignorant of who God is, dishonors the name of God. You see, friends, the world doesn't hollow the name of God. The world actually curses the name of God. The world hollows sports teams. Sunday football is the religion of America, is it not? I mean, you're... I'm not going to go there. Walter Chantry, though, has said this, better than what I could say right now. Who has done more to destroy patterns of worship than professional athletes? The world hollows celebrities and musicians the world hollows men like bruce jenner who now wants to be called caitlin jenner who's given the arthur ash award from espn that he was courageous in his transition the man hasn't been relevant for over 30 years and recently he was given the courage award or a young man whose name is gerald jennings that now goes by the name of Jazz Jennings. 
as a kindergartner, he knew that he was a girl. He was given a TV show that just re-upped on their sixth season. He was given awards. He has been given awards from various people from the press and media. This young man is one of the leading voices for those who are struggling with their sin. Not their sexuality. That is how we are to think about these people who are so-called struggling with their sexuality. No, you're struggling with your sin. And notice how I'm continuing to call him he. Although he thinks he's a she. Now, I have no problem with you changing your name. But you can't change your biology. You can't change your DNA. And these are the people who the world puts on pedestals and gives them six seasons for people to watch. Watch my transition. Given awards. He's a YouTube star making money. That some of us will never see in our lifetime. The world hollows various atheists like Richard Dawkins and Samuel Harris and even Joe Rogan. He was given an enormous amount of money for a podcast that at times can be helpful to see how the young believer thinks. But he doesn't hollow the name of God. He's not a believer. He thinks religion in many ways is dumb. And all these people whom I've named don't revere the name of God, and in return, the world reveres theirs. They bring God's name down low, and in return, the world brings their name up high. Saints, this is why we must pray that God, through us, would make his name great among the nations. I think we have such a low view at times of who our God is, that we think he's just our God. But if he is the one true and living God, then he is God, period. And no other God is before him. You see, saints, God is not to be held in high regard by merely his church. But God is to be held in high regard by the world and our prayers need to go beyond ourselves and even beyond the church. And we should see Desire to see cultures and cities reformed. Saints, we should not desire for God to be holy merely within the walls of the church. But we should desire for God to be holy throughout the world. That every single creature acknowledges who God is. And that he is holy. We are to pray for cities like San Francisco. Pray for cities like Los Angeles and New York. Pray for a country like Scotland, who's recently legalized gay marriage. If you know of Scotland's history with the Reformation, this is huge. And friends, how does this happen? How, how, do, how, does, how does the world 
how does the world see God's name as holy? What, what, what can we do? Well, it doesn't happen through force. This doesn't happen through the sword, but God, but from God, by His Spirit, through the preaching of the Word, will soften men's hearts and change the minds of sinners. That is how reform happens. From preaching. And notice, friends, Christ says that we are to hollow the name of God. Meaning both, meaning uh, God both with respect to who He is and what He has done. His titles, His attributes, His works. We are to think high and lofty thoughts of God because of who He is. God's name signifies His character. And this easily applies to our lives, does it not? We can all think of uh, one name of a person whom we think highly of. As soon as their name is brought up, you automatically think of high thoughts. Whether it be sports players, various musicians, theologians, or even our mother and our father. We know what it means for one's name to carry weight and meaning. And this applies especially when we consider God and his name. There are many in this world today and throughout history who have done many things, many great things in this world. And because of their great things and accomplishments, their name is held in high regard. There are many who are named after men and women who have contributed much to society. But saints, this is not the case with God. God's works do not make him great. Again, God's works, what he has done in creation and redemption, does not make him great. If God never created, he still would be great. If God never saved, he still would be great. If God never saved you, he still would be worthy of praise. Saints, when we think of God, we want to think that God gets his value from the things that he does. He's not like the men of the world who get their value from what they have done. Nor do you think that God is named after someone who's done great things in this world. God is not named by God Jr. out there. Or God Smith. He's not named after anyone. God doesn't need to live up to his name. For God is his name. God doesn't have to live up to his name. For God is his name. Meaning, God is what it means to be holy. God is what it means to be most loving. God is what it means to be most merciful. And friends, because this is the case... We must at all times highly esteem the name of God. This is why it is a sin to misuse the name of God. It's a sin to misuse the name of God. And I know so many Christians who commit this sin daily. Examine yourself for a minute, friends. How many of you misuse the name of God in your vocabulary? In your own speech? How many of you misuse the name of God? And when you get mad, do you say, God darn it? 
Or maybe you say, oh God. When you're surprised, you say, oh my God. Or you just say, God. What are you doing? Are you using God's name for holy use? You see, God's name is a reflection of who he is. We are to misuse his name and use his name like we use all other words. Saints, if you misuse God's name in this manner, repent. And it's going to be a, a struggle. But try to not use the name of God in this manner. Reserve his name for holy use. Don't be careless. Just as you would not like someone to misuse your name. In fact, many of us, when we hear that others mention our name, we say, what do they say? <laughs> we don't want that. Well, how much more should we think about God and his name? As we close this point and move on to some practical uses, what have we learned? Well, we've seen that uh, petitioning God in prayer must begin with a recognition That God is God. That God is not homeboy. God is not daddy. God is not big papa or that big man in the sky. But God is God. And we are to come at him correctly and rightly. Because God is who he is. He should be honored and sanctified by us and all men. Prayer should always begin with praise and admiration that God, that God deserves. Secondly, we've seen that uh, this petition teaches us that God's honor and glory are always the first concern in prayer. That God's honor and glory are always the first concern in prayer. This petition gives us a proper perspective, not merely in prayer, but also in our entire lives. That everything we do is to be for the glory of God. And thirdly, since God's name is to be hallowed, we are to always revere him by thought, word, and action. Our whole being is to revere the name of God in thought, and how we think of him, in word, and how we speak of him, and in action, how we operate in this world. We want others to see the God whom we serve. As we come to a close, saints, Why is it important that we understand this first petition of the Lord's Prayer? Well, let me just give you two reasons. First, because Christ commanded it, and he modeled it. Christ commanded it, and he modeled it. The chief end for everything that Christ did on this earth was for the glory of God. Even when he was in his most dire and stressful situation, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Sweating drops of blood to the point of death he's feeling. Jesus falls on his face and says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The suffering, the agony, the pain, the betrayal, the hatred, the abandonment all began to penetrate the human soul of Christ. And any one of us would have shrunk back from the thought of the death that Christ was going to endure. 
but his emotion never overrode his reason. He never, he never allowed his feelings to get in the way of what was right and what was true and what was first. And that was for God to be glorified. Not as I will, but as you will. What is Christ doing? He is modeling for us that in all situations, as we just read earlier, even in our discontentment, God is to be glorified. Friends, this is how we are to pray. In every situation, God's glory must be our aim. And secondly, this petition is important because it has eschatological value. Eschatological value. Meaning, this is the only petition that we will take with us into eternity. Let me read the Lord's Prayer once again. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, in the eternal state, will we have to pray your kingdom come? No. Because the kingdom would have been already been consummated. Will we have to pray your will be done? No, because God's will has already been done. Will we have to pray on earth as is in heaven? No, because heaven will be on earth. In heaven, will we have to pray, give us this day our daily bread? No, we will not be lacking in anything. Will we have to pray, forgive us our debts? No, because we will be pure. We will be like Christ, free from sin. Will we have to pray, lead us not in temptation? No, because there will be no serpent, for he will be cast in the lake of fire. This is the beauty of this first petition, that friends, in this life and in life to come, this will always be on our lips. That God, let your name be hallowed in us and through us. Let's pray.